another dynamite penultimate chapter of The Sopranos. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back on The Sopranos podcast for season three, episode 12, A Trip to Nowhere. We need to repeat what's familiar, even if it's bad for us. That quote is given by Dr. Melfi in this season three, episode 12 of The Sopranos, Amor Fu, with a teleplay by Frank Renzulli, his last on the show, unfortunately, is the last we get of Frank Renzulli, his final episode, and story by David Chase, directed by Tim Van Patten. Whew! I want to start right off with a slate. We don't have time to fuck around here, guys. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. Amor Fu. I'm getting a little bit of a pattern here now with the third season almost done. The Sopranos really likes to, for lack of more eloquent term, skull fuck you on the on the penultimate episode. <laughs> this is quite, quite an hour here. Emotional. I was upset. I was nervous. I was I've cried and, I, and I've seen this a bunch of times. What a dynamite episode. What a hell of a swan song. For Frank Renzulli, a guy who's been with us from the beginning. I know he, you know, this is his last episode with the show. I couldn't have asked more from this penultimate episode. I'm both excited for the finale, horrified by what we saw, and it works in and of itself. What are your gut reactions, guys? So I think this episode is my favorite episode of season three, which I guess I'll explore more in our retrospective at the end of the season, which we always do, which... Folks at home, you should definitely listen to. Um, this is an episode filled with, it's so exciting, but it's also so painful. And somehow, even in being so painful, it still manages to be really, really entertaining. I think this is some of the strongest writing we've ever seen on the show. And I say that in a season that has massively good episodes for writing. I got really excited seeing those names in the credits, right? You you know, you know, what a treat to see Frank Renzulli come up and then god chase and and van patten as well all in the same episode Mm. so you knew it was going to be something really special and um i've come to really feel for gloria trillo as a character she's so difficult and hard to love but it's that complexity that makes me sort of obsessed with her uh i was um sad how her story has seemingly ended or has ended for now uh and I just thought it was great. It was a, a great end to many arcs, not not just Gloria, of course, but uh, of course, everything that goes on with Jackie and all, all that stuff. It's really terrific. This is my favorite episode of The Sopranos hmm. altogether. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think when I first watched it, it was mostly because of what you'd call the A storyline, everything with Gloria. But all the stories are compelling. The stories deal with, I think, various kinds of infatuations and overwhelming passions be they whatever it is that Carmel is going through where even she knows that she's being manipulated by stupid dog commercials and saying something's up here or <laughs> Jackie's obsession with stepping up that leads to uh, ruin and Tony uh, recreating the relationship with his mother these are all things that the characters have done before they're all on this trip to nowhere because they're repeating the same pattern. And that's hard to make interesting. And they make it uh, exciting and compelling and rich and funny and weird and frightening at times. Uh, I just, I can't say enough good about it. I agree with what you guys said about 
Of course, the writing and the direction is really special here. I also think the performances are off the charts good. The scene to me is Tony and Gloria at Gloria's place. We'll get to that. Yes. But Carmela's storyline is a very hard one to make interesting because it's muted compared to the other ones. It's insular. It's slow moving. It's meditative. Edie Falco knocks it out of the park. Another theme we're returning to is her just kicking ass. And... Um, in terms of the writing, I will say, again, the last couple of seasons, great penultimate episodes that also deal a lot with betrayal. Tony's mother and his uncle betray him. His best friend betrays him. Now the best friend is dead. The mother's dead. And Tony betrays himself. He walks right into this and doesn't expect what he gets. Brilliant storytelling. Absolutely powerful uh and to me one of the master strokes is that as jordan mentioned you really do get gloria's perspective and you feel for her even as the story makes clear that she is dangerous that's the complexity and the genius of the writing i'm glad you guys mentioned that you feel for gloria because that's something i experienced actually more so this time around than any other time typically not that Tony's any kind of hero, right? But typically, she comes off as dangerous. She's obviously an extension of Livia. Thus, it's very frightening the power she has here, especially because she's not someone Tony can deal with in the traditional, I'll just kill you if you fuck with me way, right? She wants to be dead. She's trying to commit suicide by gangster. But the sadness of her life and the loneliness she's left with especially in the last moments of this episode, which I'm excited to talk about where all of these gangsters are returning home to be loving husbands, these murderers, these terrible men, and they get to go home to their families and Gloria has nobody. So it's something to think about. It's a hell of a story, hell of an arc here. Uh, I'm ready to get in. We start up with a close-up of the ring in the museum. The same song Spose Son Desprezata is playing that closed us out of Pine Barrens. And we get this scene in the museum between Carmela and Meadow. We get a little bit of information here. She's having unusual spotting and period symptoms, even though it's not her time of the month. And Meadow is not doing as well in school. She drops the bomb that her and Jackie are no longer together. A lot comes out here. Carmela starts crying. She's looking at the painting. Give me a moment. I have it written down here. The Mystical Marriage of St. Catherine and having an emotional reaction to it. So something's going on with Carmela here early on. And interesting that I, I think like from a structural standpoint, I would call this the B plot of the episode, but we're starting off with it. So let's talk about these first few moments where we open up, especially coming off of Pine Barrens. Sure. Uh, well, I really like that we start in a museum. Uh, as we've talked about many times on the show, the show has this really interesting relationship with high art and how high art allows you to find yourself. Mm. And I think everyone has had this experience, even people that are not into art or art history. Sometimes you look at a painting and you get a feeling and you don't even know why you're feeling it because art unlocks something inside of you. Now, what I, one of the things I love most about Carmela is that She's a really intelligent character, but she hasn't had like the same education as, let's say, someone like Meadow. Right. So maybe she can't articulate why she has this experience with art or uh, why it 
accesses her most vulnerable place. Um, but Carmela's experiences with art, with with religion, uh, it's it's very moving how authentic it is to me. And I love how Edie Falco plays this um, vulnerability uh, with Meadow around the artwork, uh, concern for her health. Uh, it just it, the way it inhabits her is just it's so fascinating to watch. And I just I love that the show keeps um, keeps us tied together with like, hey, the world of art is again that that sort of key to that inner part of yourself that maybe has some answers for you but mm. i love that we're with characters that aren't necessarily articulate enough to say that and um i i just i love this this is one of my favorite openings on in the series to this point is, mm. is just the, these two women in this museum at this time dealing with this i think is great the very first shot too evoked the moments in i believe it's another toothpick that episode closes out with tony just kind of standing amongst these Again, not museum art, but these kind of statues in uh, Fountains of Wayne. <laughs> and I just thought it was a nice parallel there because this couple, I mean, Carmela's had a, I don't want to say slow, but she's had a quieter season perhaps than she did in one and two in that most of her journey has either been in therapy with Sony or visiting these various different people, the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist seeing Melfi on her own. Now this priest in this episode. So her journey in this season is a very personal, quiet one while Tony is off trying to deal with all of the business nonsense and being a dad. So I just enjoyed that. It evoked that imagery there for me. And I agree with everything you just said. Paul, any thoughts? Yes, this scene is very well executed. Filmically, it's great. Starting with that close up with the ring at its most gaudy. That's the that how big it is and kind of ridiculous. That'll that relates to the last beat uh, with Carmela as well. And then it zooms out. It's so I love the or it pans and holds in the pan of Carmela walking through the museum. It reminded me of like shots from Barry Lyndon with the statues becoming bigger than her. And those statues to me absolutely evoke the small statue in Melfi's office. Yes. And we're getting back to that imagery that Tony is chasing. Um, again, I don't know if that's deliberate, but it it gave it a great feeling. And I agree. I think there's something compelling about Carmela's reaction, even if she can't quite articulate it. Uh, she and Meadow have this great dialogue. Meadow, at one point, looking at one of the paintings, dismissively says she's just the wife of a rich merchant. Mm. Um, and just the wife of a rich merchant ha merchant has secrets and pain and life to her. And she's looking to carve out this piece for herself. That's the, you know, it's the question. And it kind of sends her down this rabbit hole. And I, I agree. I think it's just a very, it is a great opening. Uh, it works well. It's fun. It's playful. But as Jordan said, when Carmel is feeling emotional, I totally buy it at the end. Yeah. I love the cut here. It's a very contrast. It's a very contrasting shot from a lighting and composition perspective, going from this bright museum to this dark garage where horrible things have happened this season, by the way. And we're going from pursuit of higher knowledge and brushing up against things that you may not be comprehending and getting in touch with your feelings and all of yeah. the higher stuff we've just been talking about to a volatile confrontation of an affair gone wrong in a 
parking garage. It's like it couldn't be two more opposite locales and things happening here. So right off the bat, we're getting pulled in crazy different directions. Tony's going to see Melfi. Gloria accosts him. Tony's pissed off. Go fuck yourself. You, you threw a fucking dinner at my head, Gloria. You th- he mentions that she he th- she threw his gift in the bay. She is able to. Tony's mad, but this is still at a point possibly fixable. She tells him, I've had a bad couple of weeks. It's a lot of stuff going on with my family. It's not an excuse. Tony says, you can talk to me about your problems. I didn't want to bother you with it. Well, I have had a lot on my plate. There's kind of a non-explicit okay, maybe we'll give this another shot. And then Tony goes into therapy and has an excellent scene where we get the show title, right? the episode title right off the bat, Amor Foo, Crazy Love, All Consuming. Uh, Tony says she gets freaky. Melfi obviously can't discuss. There's an ethical issue here. And what a fascinating situation she's in where she knows more than she can tell, but is yet again in a position where Tony is in danger and she has to guide him toward his own revelation, except unlike Livia, this time she can't just open up the, the book and spill the beans. So it's a, there's a fun tension here. They have this word play. Tony gets frustrated, deep, complicated, dark, dark eyes, like a Spanish princess. She's into what, what drew you to Gloria. She's independent, strong. Tony drops the funny malaprop. Mofo or whatever the fuck you call it, (laughs) call it a relationship. And you get this weird puss on like something's wrong. And I should, you know, you know, I, I know it's just meant to be cute. I know he's saying mofo, meaning a more foo. Mofo is short for motherfucker. Yeah. I'm just saying that can't be, that's at least a little deliberate. (laughs) Yeah, no, it works on that level. It's, it's awesome. Good pickup. Good pickup. And uh, yeah, so she gets it out of him. What do you think she sees in you? Tony has an interesting line here, and I'm quoting, forgive me, with all the, with all the faggots and crybabies running around, I'm at least not one of them. And she gets him to admit, you're a tough guy, cold captain of industry type. And is it fair to say that there are some people driven to danger like a moth to a flame? Why would somebody hit you of all people with a side of beef? So an interesting sequence here from garage into the office. Anything you want to brush up on here? Yes. In the garage scene, it as you mentioned, Chris, I don't think it's an accent that this is the same garage parking area where Mephi was attacked and raped. But here, Tony is accosted by Gloria. And this episode is going to make it murky as to who is the danger between them. And they're both pretty dangerous. Uh, I love that. Um, this sequence is it's getting freaky already. Uh, The fact that Tony is even engaging clearly gives Gloria what she wants. Um, When she gets in front of him, she's already smiling. Yeah. He walks away noncommittally. She's still smiling and the camera stays on her. Yeah. So it's clear that in that format, she's in control of this like burning ring fire that Tony describes. The scene in therapy is completely fascinating because Tony is clearly embarrassed by this image of him as the tough guy. Yeah. The captain of industry type. He doesn't like it, but Melfi barely even has to nudge him back into it. It's like, Oh no, that's, that's, that's who I am. By the end of the episode, that's who he'll have to be to get rid of Gloria. It's, it strikes me, uh, you know, Tony keeps trying to get Melfi to reveal information about Gloria in some way. Um, Of course, 
Melfi cannot because of um, doctor client, uh, you know, uh, doctor patient, you know, privilege and uh, privacy. But um, he, he keeps trying to ask things like, is, is this person dangerous? Do I need to be worried about this person? If he only really listened to anything Melfi says, <laughs> she's saying it in every way that she can legally say, yes, she's dangerous. Yes, she specifically sought you out because you were dangerous and she knew that you would be bad for her. Yes, she's probably trying to kill herself through having a relationship with you. But Tony's like so dense, like he just can't look at Melfi and really hear what she is saying. Yeah. In in every scene that they've had where they've talked about Gloria, Melfi might have just been, might as well have just said these things outright. But for some reason, he does not allow himself to hear any of it. Mm. Well, because what does submitting to that pattern say about him? Right. That's got to be right. That's mm -hmm. a place he doesn't want to go. He's still not aware. Um, not in this scene. He's not. I don't even think he's close. He he mocks Melfi in this scene, saying that Melfi's perspective is, does she remind you of anybody like that's a ridiculous notion? The audience has already picked up. on yeah. it. we're way ahead of him. I think this episode is about sight in that way like the the first sequence in the museum does set up what people are looking at and how they're taking it in and there's like these penetrative eyes in one of the paintings tony then talks about um the goyim paintings he's talking about goya uh, and those <laughs> penetrative looks um and those dark black eyes that he sees as so absorbing will of course transform by the end to my mother was just like you, bottomless black hole. Yeah. Moving along here, we get our first glimpse of our C-plot. This has been brewing for a long time, and Jackie bottomed out with Tony a few episodes back. He's bottomed out with Meadow. He's bottomed out at Rutgers. So he's hanging out with this Dino jerk, and uh, they're... <laughs> They're, you know, we're, we're, we're working, we're, we're with Ralphie now. We're with Ralphie now. So they're, they're, Ralphie's counting their money. They're hoping he can, you know, watch their backs. Ralphie says, plants the seed. Hey, you want to, you know, this gets you a hello. You want me to watch your back? It's going to take a little more initiative on your part. They're so upset. They have a very funny exchange. Tony and uh, Jackie talking about Tony and his stay in school bullshit. He could have reached out to someone at Rutgers. And I like when Ralphie replies, he's supposed to break the Dean's legs because you were too lazy to pick up a fucking book. <laughs> <laughs> Even Ralphie. Uh, yeah, it's just very funny. I, I love Ralphie's whole vibe in this episode. Joe Pants does a great job here, too. It's 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 an understated performance in this particular episode because there's so much going on. But he he really kills it here, especially in some of the later scenes. And then we cut to Tony and Gloria in bed. They're laying around. They've clearly had some fun. Tony's smoking his cigar. She starts talking about her family. Tony, that's so, you know, it's okay if you don't want to talk about it, but she <laughs> she does. And they do this thing that the Sopranos does where Tony doesn't have the mental space to deal with someone else's problems and they're talking at cross purposes. He starts talking about their Santa. But eventually she wins the day, much like Hesh won the day back when they did this in season too, I believe, when Tony didn't have Melfi to talk to. And she gets the story out about her nephews, her, her nephew and her niece, and how she's not allowed to see them anymore. She doesn't have kids of her own, Gloria. No, I don't think she's ever been married, just had these failed relationships. No kids of her own. And now her sister's kids are being estranged from her because she has a beef with the father. And 
It was the stupid argument about the kids' school and all that. But we get a couple little moments here where we really start to see the depths of loneliness. This is the little, little, little peek behind the curtain as to how deep that goes for her. She makes a comment about getting plastered onto a truck when Tony calls her out on it. She says, oh, I'm just kidding. But she wasn't very obviously wasn't kidding about that. Yeah. And then uh, they get swept away from the dark waters by getting into what this is all about, what this was all about originally, which was just an an attraction. And he's, you know, she's very sexy and dancing for him and they get back into it. And that's where her scene ends. But it was a very interesting scene and it sets up quite a bit in a subtle way. Yeah, I think, you know, we can uh, we're getting more information about Gloria and it's really driving home for us how sad her story is and how alone she is. Um, You know, what Tony saw as this triumphant trip to Morocco that she took for the holidays is a holiday that she took alone. Uh, You know, that's um, listen, people can take vacations alone and have a wonderful time, but that that is also can can be taken in in a way that is sad that she did not have you know necessarily friends to go away with to morocco or to see family um that she's like constantly sort of trying to escape her own life and whether she's doing that um you know with a guy or just sort of off by herself it's you know she's just really a person in trouble she's in she's in trouble and even the thing that's going best for her, her job at Globe Motors isn't going well. She's being sexually harassed. She, as we find out later on, she's got some coworkers who aren't particularly perceptive to other people in the and what's going on with them. So, you know, she's not having a good time at work either. So, yeah, this is a woman who is in uh, in deep water. Uh, I want to start by going back to the last scene. Um, Ralphie is a good gangster. He is a shit mentor. Yes, all of his advice is either too broad or as in, in the later sequence too specific. Mm. Um, we'll get back to that. Uh, also great choice in that scene. Uh, the classic return to me is playing uh, with, I think Dean Martin mm-hmm. doing the vocals and the episode will, the sequence that ends the episode will be a Bob Dylan cover. Um, David Chase, as always great work with the music this scene with Gloria is great. I love it. I love that so many different elements are there. Like, as you mentioned, Chris, her sexiness, uh, the playfulness of it near the end, the symmetry of the hotel room, the way that it's shot at the beginning seems to depict when things are good with them. And then it's fraying apart. She talks about her problems. As you mentioned, Chris, Tony doesn't want to hear it. That's not why he's here. Yeah. Um, and this isn't fun anymore. He didn't sign up for this. Yep. It's not what he likes about her, or it's not that image of what he likes about her. And yeah, he does pick up on what I guess you'd call suicidal ideation, which which you should take seriously yeah. if uh, people are talking about it. So yeah, all this comes together. And then it the way it breaks is them enjoying this music together, which will come back later. The vocals in this are done by... Uh, Stevie Van Zandt, right? Yes. Oh, I didn't know I believe that. So. How cool. Yeah. Next scene, we're going to get uh, further down the rabbit hole with Jackie. Another, again, this Ufa pizzeria. If you thought we were going to get out of season three without one more trip to the Ufa pizzeria, you were sadly mistaken. This place has been so disrespected. <laughs> is there a more disrespected pizza parlor in the North Jersey area? There, there is not. This is the most disrespected police, police, uh, uh, pizza parlor. <laughs> 
this guy who runs a pizza parlor great actor too i really enjoy it. this is one of those gigs that like actors who are in the various stages of their career you, you you always kind of what do you do with a role like that you just got a couple lines but then they call you back in for something and i i love his whole demeanor when what the fuck it's only glass <laughs> you know the <laughs> glass gets broken but you know he has to defend the jackie has to defend the pizza parlor Gets pulls the gun on these guys. Go find a Taco Bell before I cap your asses. Yeah, real tough guy Guido bullshit here. And um, of course, scurries the gun away. He and Dino arguing over who's going to take the gun when Chris Moltisanti shows up. Still got a little uh, Harry Potter scar on his head from his uh, his fight with Valerie in the uh, previous episode. So he's uh, he's sporting that scar. He comes in. And uh, they have a conversation, another another person in Jackie's life who is going to regret it by the end of this hour gives him shit advice. He's not entirely wrong. You know, nobody has a right to tell another man how to earn a living. But uh, on the other hand, knowing who this kid is, knowing his mentality and what he's all about, Chris does a bad thing here and then says, you know, if there's anything you can do for me, let me know. So, again, planting more seeds here getting Chris involved gives them options, makes them feel like they have options. Sure. Like, Oh, we, we can, we can stay with Ralphie or we can go over to Chris, you know? Yeah. It struck me in this scene, how much more mature Chris seems than Jackie when really he's not so much older. And um, Chris has just grown up a lot in a, in a very short period of time. I, I think obviously a couple things have happened to Chris. He's become made. He, he, he nearly died. Um, he's been on some really significant jobs. Um, he, he, Chris has really taken stock of himself in a new way. Uh, yes. Certainly, he's rededicated himself to this lifestyle. And really, since that happened, it, we, one could say we could argue it was the end of D-Girl. We could argue it was a, a couple different moments. These have yeah. coalesced into this new version of Chris that is like, he can't really sit with Jackie anymore. And you can't label them both being like, oh, those young guys. It's right. not like that. Chris is his own thing now. And it has been a transformation because, yes, they're different characters. They have different problems and different dynamics. But are Jackie and Dino really all that different from Chris and Brendan in season one? Not really. They're kind no. of in the same spot. But it feels like even though not much time has passed, the, those events are probably only two or three years apart, if that. But like Chris has just like I, I can't I don't even see the same Christopher from season one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The um this this scene is interesting for a lot of reasons and that's among them that there's a reflection here chris and jackie and dino have met a couple times at this pizza parlor jackie doing the thing don't disrespect the pizza parlor is the same as him like cosplaying michael coleone yeah a few episodes ago and he wasn't good at that either and obviously as you said chris some bad advice here but also the way that jackie is taking it Christopher's defiance at first appeals to Jackie. By the end of the episode, they're moving against Chris yeah. without even proper planning. And Dino, who was so worried about getting caught with the gun with Chris as a made guy, I mean, want to know how much Chris has grown? Watch Chris, like, coldly shoot Dino in the face and walk over to a car at the end of the episode. Transformation is complete. And, yeah, this is all setting up a lot of sad stuff is going to happen here. But yeah, there's funny bits here. I think the Taco Bell line is funny. I do like this guy who runs the place just naturally like his yeah. attitude. What the fuck? It's only glass. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what's happening here is a lot of setup. 
of course, but it, it's forwarding the story. So speaking of forwarding the story, this next scene takes things into high gear, both literally and metaphorically. This scene is bonkers, bananas, crazy. If you're watching this for the first time and you're not like, your mouth is not slightly agape watching this. You're not, you're not experiencing it. Start over and pay attention. This is crazy. When you realize where Carmela is and then you get that quick push in shot that Tim Van Patten set up there on Gloria when, when the name Carmela Soprano is spoken and then, Oh, I'll take her home. And then as the conversation, and then as the, <laughs> yikes, yikes. And then as the conversation is happening, she's getting faster. She sees the ring because Carmela has to grip the door in fear because she's going like 90 miles an hour down these icy New Jersey roadways. And the conversation they're having, just you can see, like, I, I don't like to pigeonhole characters because she's more complex, but you really see the crazy here. This is like, oh, oh, boy. This is a very bad situation. Thoughts on this? I, I do, I, on a humorous level, I did enjoy the dialogue there where Carmela was not prompted further about information about Meadow, but she had to, she had to name drop Columbia. My daughter's uh, in college, New York City, Columbia, actually. Like <laughs> there are several pauses. She had to yeah. get out Columbia. Uh, School of Broadcasting? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but man, oh man. What what are what are your thoughts on this? And she sees the house and just craziness. She fucking screeches onto that cul-de-sac at going like sixty miles an hour. Yeah, it's great. I mean, listen, this is a, it's a high tension scene. It's it's done well. Uh, the dialogue is uh, fun and scary. It's 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 exciting television. I, I I was I was thrilled by this. I guess we could be a little reductive and say like, oh, of course we had to have this scene where. Uh, Gloria oversteps, but it's it's very purposeful. Uh, she's overstepping on purpose, and the way she'll try to explain this away later is as curiosity, which of course Tony will not take well. This is so far over the line that as a viewer, yeah, yeah you're you're so right, Chris. Your jaw should be on the floor. The audacity of this, the inappropriateness of this, and the level of erratic behavior that's being displayed by Gloria, who has managed to keep most of her, uh, I don't know what you want to call them, like the her behaviors have really been kept in check to this point to some extent uh this is now things are getting dangerous you're wondering oh my god where's this all heading at any moment this car could just just careen off the road and then where would any of them be like this is this is the physical manifestation of what has been boiling underneath the surface of gloria for some time i think um i still remember the first time watching this episode and with that quick zoom in it's an audible oh shit moment. And then the drive home is so great, as you guys said. It's fun. It's high tension. The, the dialogue's cool. I also think it's interesting and a good choice that Carmela actually doesn't take the cues in the expected way. She seems to get, okay, this woman drives fast, but she's just kind of rolling with it. Um, seems to reflect on the whole thing that the woman was very nice to her. Mm. Um, she doesn't take one of the backhanded remarks in an insulted way even though i thought she might have um at least your daughter doesn't have to latch on to a man for success so all of this remains high tension but it doesn't quite spill over it remains tense the whole time i love that i also feel like there's something in this scene that actually reflects these two women and how they're different because what this storyline is about for carmella 
what her storyline in this episode is about is I think essentially what she physically does in the passenger seat of this car. She holds tight and tries to carve out a little safe space for herself in the world. Gloria's format entirely different. Take the wheel, ride the line, go as fast as you can and the consequences be damned. Very well said, Paul. I also want to mention though, that the world is complicated and I don't think there's any one motivation that can explain this. Clearly, there is an element of curiosity. Clearly, there is the fact that she knows once Tony finds out about this, it's going to result in a incredibly explosive confrontation. She has to know that. She knows it. She does. She has to know it. There's also something I may not have picked up on my first several watches of this that read that read to me this time. It's an interesting irony because she's the other woman here. Carmela is the wife, but I think there is a part of Gloria that is incredibly jealous, despite what the comment she makes about the ring. But I think she's jealous of the family, jealous of the house, jealous of the kids, jealous of what Tony gets to go home to when he's not with her. And that's part of it. I I don't it's not all of it, but that's in there. And it made me feel sad for her, despite how insane this is. This reminded me of a little bit. uh, And it's funny to bring up Scorsese since he's, you know, kind of like our our go to mob director. But there's a little bit of Cape Fear in this, a little bit Mm -hmm. of like the Cape Fear remake of the um, person who is not well, who is dangerous, who gets too close to your family and you have to keep this secret from them, right? Now, look, Gloria is not Max Cady. She's not you know, Robert De Niro in that film. <laughs> but there is this element of something I have done, an extramarital affair, something, right, has yeah. threatened the home, right? And now it is up to me to put a stop to it before it becomes more of a physical threat. Now, Cape Fear, it goes totally off the rails. It is way more ominous and, and, and terrifying. But this has that flavor, which is a new, yeah. fl- it's a new flavor. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Speaking of flavor, Jackie and Dino sitting there eating what must be delicious cold spaghetti and talking about, you know, it's funny. Episode, just These guys are so wishy-washy. They have no sense of the world, no instinct for this. They were shit-talking Chris Moltisanti earlier this season. Now they're like, yeah, he's awesome. He'll even tell Tony Soprano to go fuck himself. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's young to be made. Ralphie comes in again. I don't know what he was hoping to gain or if he was hoping to gain anything, I think this is just one of those instances. You got a captive audience. You're telling a, a cool old story and sort of a bonding moment, but I don't, I don't know what, what good could possibly come of telling them this. I don't know, but Ralphie relays this story about Tony, Jackie, Silvio, and him being in a sort of a crew that they thought they were hot shit back in the day. Ralphie caught the clap from a hippie broad, so he couldn't go on this. But uh, I don't know that I buy that, by the way. No, I, I, think, I don't. Uh, yeah. Something else. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he ex- relays this story about a stick up at an old mustaches card game a guy named Feech Lamana. And they stuck up his card game, made their names. They paid back the right people. A sit down happened. And while it was a scary, ballsy thing to do, it kind of made Tony and that group of people. They had to be respected. What do we think about this story, this scene? All of this, it's going somewhere. Well, th- there's the first question, which is the why. Is it just that Ralph Ralphie is a, a raconteur and, and just likes to hear himself tell stories and he knows that these two will be impressed by that? There, there could just be certainly that on a characterization level. 
that Ralphie just likes to feel like he is impressive and he knows that these two will enjoy the story, but that doesn't quite track because Ralphie in this story comes off as very unimpressive and cowardly, right? He doesn't go on this job. He doesn't give glory to himself. He missed out on this. And I agree with you, Chris, the, um, the having the, the, the drippy penis or whatever, because he had the clap from his hippie broad, something strikes like a false note there. Um, yeah. And I think Joe Pantoliano leans into that on purpose. And we're starting to get a bigger characterization of the character that, that we can talk about maybe later or maybe in a later episode would be more appropriate. But that fact particularly doesn't feel correct. Maybe he was just too afraid to go because uh, mm. this sounds pretty fucking ballsy and maybe he just didn't have the balls. The nugget of information or, or maybe the moral that I guess he wants them to get from the story is that just sometimes you have to go out there and like kind of grab the world by the balls. But it's, uh, you know, to, to Paul's point earlier, it's too vague. It's too nonspecific. These two are not smart enough to get the good message out of that. Uh, as Paul said, they're, they're going to take this too literally and literally re- try to, re- to redo this story again. Literally yeah. a card game. Literally, like the, the same exact setup. Of course, in their version of this story, nothing will go right. Things will only go wrong. Yeah. Well said. I, I don't think I would add much. I think that uh, Chase in the DVD commentary, I think pretty pointedly said that the hippie broad thing is a lie. <laughs> Alfie was either too scared to go or he wasn't invited to go. Um, <laughs> That's another, yeah. Which would, which would fit because the gangsters, the other gangsters still don't really like him. And these kids don't really like him. They, they've relied on him. They like some of the stories, but what they like about them is that they reflect some of the other old timers. And of course, Jackie Jr.'s nostalgia for his dad. And I imagine the stories that Jackie Sr. didn't want to tell his kid. I don't think he wanted him anywhere near this, but that's how Jackie thinks of his dad. You know, a tough guy wants to think of him as having balls and stepping up. And um, Ralphie, I think, comes through in another way, nagging and kind of domesticated. Uh, Jackie is very offended at the quote, wash your dishes bullshit. So this, so then the, it turns into this resentment. And it, as Jordan mentioned, as this churns in their head, particularly Jackie's head, it gets even worse because now they're going to take down Ralphie's game. There's going to be made guys there. They do drugs before they go in. It's just a, it's, it's, a disaster, disaster um top to bottom yeah and speaking of patterns that recur throughout the show with these imp- impetuous young characters if i were a soprano's elder the last thing i would do at this point is ask a, a hungry impetuous young mobster to do any kind of food cleanup related chore <laughs> matt bevilacqua <laughs> matt bevilacqua has to get uh, shrimp and shit and clean up cheese at silvio's feet they, uh, Ralphie's last line to these guys is make sure you rinse the plates before you put them so the dishwasher doesn't clog you know that's enough of an indignity <laughs> we need to install some kind of mob internship program that is more regulated <laughs> than this family has because between Chris and Brendan Falone and Matt and Sean and now these two fucking idiots Jackie and Dino like the young men need help in this family <laughs> they just keep fucking up they keep dying they keep getting killed by their own guys it's bad yeah yeah the boys are not all right they are not they are not 
No. I feel for Carmela very much in this episode, and it's a hell of a journey she goes on. But I, I, I mean, I laughed a lot during this next scene when she's crying at the pet food commercial. <laughs> It's funny. And she even it's, catches it's like, God, what's so wrong with me? And her catching yeah. herself is even funnier. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Pedigree, you know. <laughs> That's great. That's just great shit. And great acting. She's a, she, she kills it. We get the shot outside the house. Tony and Gloria have had another what seems to be lovely night. And conflict. Clearly, Tony doesn't know what just went on between Gloria and his wife, because otherwise they would not be smiling at the top of this scene. But they come out post-coitus. Tony's probably heading home, or maybe they're going out for a drink. Who the hell knows? Uh, but they head out, and her tires are slashed. And they get into this fast, quick, again, quick acceleration. That's another theme that is playing with Gloria as these things, once you put your foot on the gas, you're going zero to 60 in, in under seven seconds, as uh, she later says to a different character. Yep. But this, this, this accelerant vroom, just goes, it goes so fast. The point where Tony's now has this slightly kind of look of familiarity when he sees the slashed tires. I, what's funny is I don't, I don't, Arena hasn't been involved in the show in a while. I don't think Arena did this, but Tony just had the thought and she detected it. She Gloria picked up on it and they're screaming at each other to the point where she brings out the worst in him. And he mentions that she wouldn't do it. I slapped the piss out of her last time. And then the whole, that's a great beat shift in the scene. Oh, really? Did you really hit her? And you know, she's, she's pushing and prodding and poking and, and he, uh, you know, offers to get her new tires. And why would you want to help me if you're feeling guilty? And she's screaming at him. It's it's a hell of an argument here. And what do we make of this escalation? Well, there's nothing there's nothing he can say that can put this to bed. You know what yeah. I mean? It's it's the kind of thing Livia would do, right? Where, where you will say something and and it's wrong. It's wrong no matter what you do. And you can see how trapped he feels and how he gets increasingly frustrated and, and angry. Um, this is, you know, uh, as things continue to spiral out of control, these kinds of conversations happening in this way are only going to keep happening with more frequency, which is really starting to put the writing on the wall for Tony that this has to end. Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, Chris, th th that's really well said by both of you. And uh, Chris, I like the accelerant imagery. I hadn't heard of that, but I hadn't thought of that. But that is definitely part of this because this sequence is starting to show Tony, I think, pretty directly, as Jordan said, that it goes quickly. It seems like anything can set her off. It, do it often doesn't even quite matter what it is. I do wonder what happened with these tires. I don't know about the Irina thing. I have thought about Gloria doing it herself mm. um, because it's not explicit, but in the other storyline, she is blatantly making mischief and cannot stop. Yeah. Um, but, but all in all this, this scene ramps up, as you guys said, very quickly. I do think it's interesting. Gloria, a couple of times starting here, she does not like the offer or the implication that Tony is going to solve any of this with money. He does. She doesn't like that. I don't want new tires, that sort of thing. Melfi also in their first scene said, don't offer me the bonus again. But Melfi does it to assert her ethics and her independence. Gloria does it to deepen psychological warfare. If, if, if Tony is the main character in a video game, Gloria is your worst nightmare because she's impervious to your two biggest weapons. 
She's immune to the money charm and she's immune to, I will fucking kill you. Yeah. She's that's why she's such a compelling character for Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I agree. Jackie and Dino are sitting around. Fuck Ralph and his water. Rinch your dishes. Bullshit. That is a great line. (laughs) Uh, I think he's some kind of secret fag. He says to add credence to something. uh, Lily, Lily, Lily theory. I I have not read up on this a lot and I do not remember if this is ever (laughs) resolved, but I I guess I, I guess there are some clues that I did not pick up on. (laughs) Um, Well, but even if he, whether he is or he isn't, it reads true that Jackie would say that because first of all, that's just like, remember the time periods 2001 and even even nowadays these like macho jersey guys will throw that f word around about somebody they just don't like or consider too much of a dandy sure uh and ralph ralph is also very well quaffed and not a tough guy in the way that tony's a tough guy so it makes sense you know but so yeah they're saying that call carlo he has a shotgun we should knock over eugene ponacorvo's card game eugene ponacorvo of course works for ralph so it's by proxy ralph's game Carlo has a shotgun. Call Carlo. Oh, there's no signal. They go back inside and lose motivation at the sight of Sharon Stone's pubic region in the movie <laughs> uh, Basic Instinct. Uh, very famous scene in movie history there. She's doing the leg cross and the f- scene kind of just fades out. Which which we're going to have to take as a at least a parallel allusion to the Gloria plot line in the episode, right? That that sexual infatuation, that wild passion of the basic instinct plot. You know, it's the it's that's the mm. crossover. That's the that's the illusion that's being made here. Yep. And then we get Carmilla in a confessional. This is interesting because she's seen a psychiatrist now. We remember the conversation she had with the psychiatrist who told her get out. and She references it in this conversation. Father Phil is not helpful to her because of their shared history. There's a lack of trust and something was definitely broken between them in season one, but he does refer her to this priest. And while there are elements of advice of his advice that are not perfect, I I definitely like this guy a lot better than Father Intentola. That's for sure. Well, Um, what a low bar, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's true. That that is that is a low bar. One of the all-time Sopranos villains. He really is such a fucking shit. He really is. <laughs> Love it. He basically had like one scene this season and we still hate him. That's yeah, great. fuck that guy. Uh, but Carmelo's worried about ovarian cancer. This guy is getting a psychology degree and she's expressing why she thinks she's sick. She's spotting. It's, you know, she has irregularities there. She had relatives die of ovarian cancer. And he says, why don't we set the sacrament aside? and take this into my office. And she is very blunt with him. She's past the point where, I mean, she could barely get what's, what's amazing is she could barely get these words out when she was giving it to the psychiatrist, but she has said it before. And it's almost, I imagine like killing somebody admitting it and saying it probably gets easier the more you do it. So she tells him my life is financed by crime. Psychiatrist said to leave him. And this is why it's imperfect, because he does dip a little bit into the Catholic default here, which is divorces out of the question unless he's abusive, which I liked. At least he brought that possibility up and then gives her this interesting advice. God understands we all live in the middle of tensions and he loves you more than you know. And it's a complicated world. This is 
refreshing dialogue from a priest character, in my opinion. He tells her maybe it's the right advice, maybe it's the wrong advice, but whether it's right or wrong, it's very practical advice for the time being anyway, whether it's something that can actually be done remains to be seen, but he tells her to learn to live on the good, what the good part earns, good part of Tony being, and to draw a line, a boundary within herself and learn to forego those things that lie without it. What do we think? And Carmela seems for the first time this season, like she's gotten some advice she can sink her teeth into. What do we think of this? What do we think of this character, this advice? And how Carmela handles this. Well, this is sort of the other half or the sort of successor to the, you know, the, the scene with Dr. Krakauer, uh, the, uh, the psychiatrist she had seen earlier where Carmela is developing this sense of herself that needs to be separate from Tony, right? That, um, I mean, Dr. Krakauer blatantly told her to leave Tony yeah. uh, and to save what was left of her children. <laughs> um, this guy is a little bit more practical about it. He's kind of asking her to find the part of herself that is independent and to try to cultivate that, which, which she will. Um, I appreciate that they didn't make this priest character a boob. Um, yeah. I, uh, it happens a lot in TV. It's happened on the Sopranos where we take these religious characters and we tend to be very reductive with them, but they, I, I liked this guy right away. Yeah, um, he seemed to very much have his uh, senses and seemed like to be a sensible person. And uh, I, th I think for Carmela, someone who is so invested in their religion, their relationship with God, the nature of good and evil as it pertains to them, it was important for her to hear good sense from someone that was from her world. And I, I, by her world, I mean sort of the world of Catholic religion and not necessarily the world of psychiatry. Not that Dr. Krakauer Krakauer's words didn't have weight. It's just that, oh boy, how do I frame this? Dr. Krakauer told her too much of the truth all at once and in yeah. too concise a way. Carmela needs to be spoon-fed this information over a longer period of time so she can make these um, incremental changes in her life. Krakauer's recommendation that uh, her money is blood money and her children need to be saved. What's left of them. And you have to get out of Tony's life and he has to get out of yours. It's just too much too soon. Uh, this guy seems to have a better approach, which is like, okay, well you recognize these things. Let's get a sense of your own independence. And for me, I, I, as a viewer put the next step in there, which was if I continue to talk to this priest, now I've given you a sense of your independence. Now look at the world from your own new independent perspective. And mm. now tell me what you think. So this guy is starting to lead her on a very good path. And if I may dip into religion for a moment, he is leading her on a more righteous path toward God. I love that. Uh, so this priest is very interesting to me. He's more formal than Father Intentola, but I like him personally so much more. Yeah. I, I actually like the formality of it. I think that while this guy says a lot of things that I actually do commune with in a way, God understanding that we all live in the middle of tension. How that for a, an image that is that that's profound to me. But he also mentions at one point, it's a complex world. And Tony and Melfi were talking earlier about how Gloria is complicated and complicated world, complex people, I think are terms that sometimes mask what we don't want to see and what we don't want to wrestle with. 
which is that Carmela is provided for by a criminal life and Gloria is fucking crazy. So I do think that this will actually allow Carmela to come back to center in a way. And there is one important caveat between she and this priest and the advice he gives her. He gives her this advice that's spiritual about an inner boundary. Uh, by the end, Carmela's not dealing with an inner boundary. She's looking at something tactile, land, real estate, mm. getting that money. Uh, Carmela is nothing if not pragmatic. So I do think that there's something to this storyline, but I don't think it's a righteous path. I think it will bring Carmela back to where she doesn't have to face the things she doesn't want to. Okay. I mean, that, and that's more than a fair reading uh, as well. I say we'll see. I think we'll have more insight on that at some point. But I'm, I, I love the conversation. He tells her, lastly, go see an OBGYN. Again, uh, considering the history of the Catholic Church on issues of women's reproductive issues, I mean, even that, at, at, 30 years ago from a priest would have been radical advice. So, uh, you know, we like this guy. But anyway, next scene at the Soprano House, mad cow disease. Remember mad cow disease? Simpler times, boys. Simpler times. I wish, uh, I wish mad cow disease was the only <laughs> thing we had to worry about. <laughs> oh, man. But I do remember that. Yeah. Uh, Carm tells Tony about uh, Jackie and Meadow. Tony feigns surprise, but he does a nice job masking that he knew things couldn't have been good there. I don't think he knew that they were broken up necessarily, but obviously he knew that things were not in as good a place as Carmela may have thought they were. And uh, she gives a funny line. She was better. She would have been better off with that black kid. He's in India for the UN and <laughs> uh, certainly not what Tony wants to hear. Yeah. This breakfast gets interrupted with a phone call from Gloria trying to sell Carmela the new E23 series. And she says uh, the words I wrote down from this phone call were run it by your husband. This wasn't. Yes, she's a saleswoman, but she wants him. She, she, this is her following up on what just happened with the tires. Yeah, let, let him know. Let him know. That's a, see what he says about buying a new Mercedes. He's going to know who that call came from. And it happens. What She gets her wish. As soon as they hang up, Tony pushes a little bit. I love that shot of Carmelo just reading the paper and Tony's mouth just stops chewing. And he puts it all together. And you see that fucking look on his face like she didn't she she did not call and bring my wife home like you you see him wrestling with what he's actually dealing with here and he just i love that slow turn to get up trying not to look like he's in a rush but he fucking screeches right into globe motors drags her yeah. by the arm as her poor co-worker is just trying to switch his off days so he can take his son <laughs> this fucking guy sucks uh, you know, we, we've had this a couple different times on the show now at least a half a dozen times where this is the best of them but that expression on tony's face where all the muscles just kind of relax and then become hard set and then he gets up with that kind of terrible purpose this is tony one of tony's i am become death moments right where <laughs> no i really i'm not yeah. it's not not any kind of a joke Tony yeah. has this other thing that lives inside him, this other function. It's this other arm of his personality where he's he's a machine of destruction. He's just a, a wrecking ball, right? Uh, sometimes this involves him just uh, physically overpowering an opponent, 
right? Uh, Febby, Febby or, or whoever this was, you know, it yeah. could be anyone. But it's just like Tony has a kill switch of just like something flips and he becomes this other person. And, and this was the coolest, most beautifully acted version of that where you just like you, you see it, the, the dawning, the realization, then you see his whole body change. And you're like, I assumed in the moment I was like, so he's going to kill her right now. Because yeah. there's this that once that switch has been flipped, that's that's the only thing that can happen. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a wonderfully acted. Moment. I was I was amazed. Me not remembering, by the way, I was amazed he didn't kill her right then and there. I assumed I was like, uh, <laughs> I think he's getting up from the table to kill her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. And he he's pretty bold here. It doesn't kill her, you know, but he he does like grab her by the arm, drags her to a semi-private area, and then hoists her up off her feet by by the neck, basically, up against that wall, holding her by the neck and the chin. And he is... And she fucking loves it, by the way. Yeah. Um, she is absolutely... As you mentioned, Chris, she was not content to do the first oh shit thing. She had to do the phone call and, again, poke the hornet's nest... And when Tony first gets there, she seems absolutely gratified by it. It's yeah. not until he ends it and walks out that it seems like things really deflate in her uh, gait and her look. And yeah. the guy comes up and says Raffi, and that makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> She's trembling in this scene, and there has to be a moment in the audience's mind when you realize that that's not the normal tremble of fear. That's a tremble of excitement. Yeah. She's, she's been waiting for this. Right. There's something exhilarating and it's, it's terrible. So he leaves and she's deflated. Tony, she calls out at him. You can tell your therapy, you can tell your shrink, you ruined eight relationships and he's out. And he, you know, I don't know if he's naive or if he doesn't think that this is going to come back in some way, but this is not over. Carmel is at the doctor getting examined. Just give it to me straight. We don't get the answer right away. Again, these two morons watching TV call Carlo. This is like the third time he's asked Jackie's asked him to call Carlo. No reason he can't call Carlo, except that he just doesn't. <laughs> and we need to be doing what we're, we should be doing. They're slow moving, but it keeps coming around to this. Anytime they're sitting around being bums. Like, yeah, hey, man, you know, this sucks. We got to do something. It's that kind of shit. Dino will unfortunately spend the rest of his short life with his head up his ass. <laughs> yep. And cut to Vesuvio. You know, I love Rosalie April as a character. I love Sharon Angela. This is a cool scene we're going to talk about. But Rosalie always has a fucking issue with Artie's food. Do you notice that? Yeah. <laughs> she always she doesn't like the appetizers he brings out. She so wants this is, you know, uh, the Gallimore salad. He's not using the right olive oil, right? That was this. Yeah. One. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she always has some fucking issue with Artie's food. I think it's a funny little character trait because generally we, we we're led to believe his restaurant's very good and Artie's an awesome chef. Yeah. But but she just always she always has a fucking issue at Vesuvio, but it's where everybody goes. So yeah, she's, it's just a thing. It's, it's, it's a thing. Of yeah, hers, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, but they, Carmela reveals it was that she's got a clean bill of health. It's not ovarian cancer. She had a, a thyroid problem. She was surprised. The issue of pregnancy was on the table. Not anymore. Thank God. Uh, that's just my opinion. Thank God on that. That's the last thing any of these this family needed. Uh, 
The subject of Hillary Clinton comes up as a role model. This is an interesting parallel for these women, actually, considering, and they talk about that. I do love, I got to give Sharon Angela credit, this delivery of what she put up with, with the blow jobs, <laughs> the way she fucking delivers it. <laughs> the way she fucking delivers that is so good. It makes me laugh every time. And yeah, so she she was great. And they, they talk about how Hillary Clinton, you know, she put up, first of all, Carmela, very ironic line, if it were me, you know, to, to, to be humiliated in public and then have to walk around with a smile on your face. So basically how you live your entire life. Carmella, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would crawl in a hole and I would never come out. Not true. Um, and <laughs> so but they kind of make the point that she put up with the bullshit. She, she took her licks in that whole situation. And listen, I'm not getting political on this podcast. Whether you like Hillary Clinton or not, you can't deny that. She spun that shitty situation into her own career. Yeah. So that's kind of the point here, right? Yeah. That, that, yeah. Yeah. It's a, so. it's a funny point being made, particularly because we assume uh, I'm really painting with a very broad brush and I shouldn't, this is bad of me, but like you would assume um, most Italian Americans, not all, not all, most Italian Americans lean a little bit more conservative. Yeah. Right. For many reasons. And I, just, just you, I, 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 yeah, I believe most of the women at this table would probably, you well, know, that's what vote I'm for Trump. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. I, yeah. I'm getting at in our per, uh, the way the parties are drawn right now. I think if you had these women involved in elections now, these would be uh, these would be Trump women. Right. Um, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, we're not. So, so when yeah, we we're bring not going up, there. yeah, when we bring up <laughs> um, when we bring up Hillary Clinton, it's just funny because there's already kind of this implicit thing where as a viewer you would say oh these women don't like her for sure you know yeah. and you, you can read that in their body language you can read that in the tone of their conversation but what's funny is and, and chris you already acknowledged this right they all share something in common with hillary clinton right they live in the shadow of powerful powerful men or a powerful man right and they have to kind of try to get out from under that and live with uh, a system in which there is implicit accepted abuse uh, mm. and uh, infidelity and these other things. And then just as a funny little tidbit, Edie Falco kind of bears more than a passing resemblance to Hillary Clinton and in fact has played her more than once. So I just yeah. thought that was kind of fun as well. Yeah, yeah. this scene is uh, very fun as usual with these women having lunch. And I agree that with Jordan that it's totally believable. It is, it's fun, but not surprising when Angie Bompensero says, Hillary Clinton, I can't stand her. Um, <laughs> very fun dialogue. And Carmela is coming off of, as we said, even though it's subdued in some way, some heavy stuff. She thought she might have ovarian cancer or perhaps she was pregnant. Um, she was catastrophizing the whole thing. Oh, doctor, don't miss words. It's like you have a thyroid problem. Go get lunch. What? You know. And so now she's here and asking these questions. And Again, like her carving out her little place, as the priest might have recommended, in her initial conception is, I would find a hole and I would hide. Yeah. That's what she says first. But then when Rosalie makes the other point, she set up her own little thing. Carmela realizes, oh, yeah, she's a role model for us all. Take that negative shit and spin it into gold. Yeah. That's kind of a far cry from what the priest was suggesting. Live on what the good part earns. Mm. No. Be, as Carmela, I think, then does is this practical outlook of taking the negative shit and making it something. Yeah. Now we're going first class right into crazy town. I think we mentioned this is 
probably the key scene in the episode as far as sure. uh in my you're gonna in yeah. my in my viewing and preparation for this episode i watched this scene i think four times just kind of kept rewinding it just i couldn't it's so it's so satisfying and and heartbreaking yeah tony's at the bing gets a call from a woman crying it's gloria she's so hysterical she can't get words out and tony tells her i can't understand you he's going back and forth not listening picking up the phone she's still going and it's one of those situations where okay i have to go over there hangs up goes there talking to somebody she says as he comes in do you want something to drink no thank you very cold very by the book very i'm not going to be show you warmth or pity somebody to talk to she says and he says what about him pointing at the buddha statue she says laugh if you want but he helps and he tony gives this line that made me laugh so hard yeah he's a regular captain marvel (laughs) (laughs) and yeah let's just i don't need to break this scene down beat by beat let's just talk about it this is crazy and and the acting here when that poor you line comes out tony initiates violence against her with that slap we had our mofo whatever yeah, let's let's talk about it. What stood out? What does this what does this scene do for you? Well, just in terms of performances, these two are just at the top of their game. The acting, Masters. It, it's it, it's masterful. It's all led to this, and um, my heart breaks for both of them in this scene. Yeah. Right? There's no victim here. There's no oppressor. It's just these two people. They've been caught up with each other and. It's like they couldn't help but end up here. Like this is where it was all going to lead to. And just I'm paraphrasing, but the the delivery from James Gandolfini of the we didn't just meet. I've known you my whole life. It's uh, it's it's earth shattering that I, yeah. I had to watch it four times yeah. to, to just take it in. It is so big. Yeah. And it's um, it's. It's all of his therapy and all of his experience and his whole life finally catches up to him in that epiphany. It's it's gorgeous and sad. It's truly beautiful. And the venom she's spitting at him. And I love that we're, we're even getting these Livia drops before Tony catches it in this scene. She says to him, I'll just sit back like a mute while you screw every woman out there. That's another Livia line. Suppose I should have just kept my mouth shut like a mute. Then everybody would have been happy. You know, it's 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 right there for him. And when he finally yeah. makes the discovery that we've been onto, it's it's everything you're saying, Jordan. It's it's fantastic writing, it's fantastic direction. The scene is riveting to watch, and it, the acting is top, top level. And it's also just satisfying as a viewer because this is one of those instances where, unless you're just totally thick. You, you've caught on to what's happening here long before Tony does and seeing him realize what you realize and seeing the gravity it has in his life and what it means for him. Mm, that's the good shit. Every TV show needs that. That's it's just so good. You're fucking crazy. Stay away. He goes to leave. She threatens to tell his wife. I'll go to Columbia, tell your daughter about us door shut locked. And then they're, they're in this chase. They're fighting in the kitchen. He fucking choke slams her onto the floor. He threatens her. If you come near me or my family, I'll fucking kill you. She wants to die. She's committing suicide by gangster. She says, kill me, kill me, kill me spits in his face. Just 
oh, it's, you know, this is such a special scene. Crazy, emotional, gets me, gets a knot in my stomach even just talking about it, but it's great. Paul, any thoughts? I can't do much better. Uh, you guys uh, took apart that scene so beautifully. And I think, it, as you guys said, it's it's probably everything. The way that it's filmed, the terrific writing, these two actors at the height of their powers. It is, it is oddly satisfying. It brings it all together, even though it's pretty upsetting. It's upsetting when he initially slaps her around, even though... Again, she has started to more explicitly, it seems, ask for it. Mm. She's pushing his buttons. He's uncomfortable. Like when he leans in and says that you think my life's a fucking picnic, the spit is coming out of his mouth. He seems to have sweat on his brow. And he's initiated that violence. And I don't think I'll ever forget two things from this episode. The zoom in on Gloria when she sees that Carmela's there. And when she snarls, poor you. And again, as Jordan mentioned about the other scene, the muscles in Gandolfini's face drop. He stands up and backs away from her. I don't think I'll ever forget that image. Um, again, what it portends, what it means, and Gandolfini's acting um, so powerful. Also, I, I, I can only reiterate what Jordan said about how much I do feel for both the characters. And even though the insight about the mother is so important, uh, Gloria, her reaction is, oh, of course, the mother now burn me at the stake. So I did feel for her, even though that itself is a death wish, you know, yeah. it's mountainous. And and I have to give Annabella Ciora, the actress here, so much credit. This is how you come in for a guest, a recurring yeah. guest star and just dominate and not only dominate the season and doing such a great job, have such great chemistry with James Gandolfini, yeah. culminate your story in this scene. But to live up to the gravitas that Livia has on the show, on Tony, just masterful work. I can't say enough good about the actors. I don't remember if she got nominated for something for this, uh, but uh, worthy in my book. I think, you know, Melfi ended up getting, I think, yeah, Lorraine Bracco ended up getting, I'm not sure about her, but if, if ever there was a guest star, recurring guest star that deserves accolade, it was Annabella Ciara. This, her run on this show is just so good. Yeah, it's terrific. And I, I think she's only in like four or five episodes of the season and they're all just her work in all five or, or four, however many. It's it's amazing. Yeah. So I believe this scene is also when we get the line trip to nowhere. Yes. Jordan, yes. Would you like to discuss that? Well, it, it, yeah. It, so we, we chose this as our, our title for today's episode, uh, Trip to Nowhere. It, it pertains to more than just this one plot, but it is this idea that when you are with these characters, and we'll we'll use Gloria as our our fulcrum for this discussion, she enters into these relationships, specifically her relationship with Tony, but all these relationships, just knowing that they will come to naught. Uh, it, and and the, it's like these these relationships are like little versions of her entire life, just how it all comes to nothing. And now let's reflect that in our main character on the show, Tony. It's like, well, what? What is the meaning of his pursuit when he is out with these women? What is he hoping hoping will happen? Uh, you know, when he dates these women that are they become dependent on him, either emotionally, financially, whatever. Uh, but these relationships always end in ruin. And, and I have to believe that has always been the case, that 100 percent of his relationships that are not Carmela have failed. 
And, and why is that? And it, it leads to some of the most interesting studies of these characters. It's like, well, what are they hoping to get out of these relationships? This, uh, this, this trip to nowhere also applies to, to Jackie Jr. in this episode, right? Uh, he's hoping that these you know, schemes of his will, will bring him somewhere. But even if he were to achieve the heights... Right. And be fully accepted as a member of this family and to be fully enfranchised. And I don't know, maybe even become a captain or a boss someday. Where does that life lead you? Right. That leads you to jail or an early death or something as well. It's just we're fighting for such little joy and happiness. And it all feels so brief. Um, It is very dark. It's something nihilistic to ruminate about. But uh, honestly, getting back to Gloria, who actually says the line. Uh, th- that's that's the great realization she's already had. In many ways, she's ahead of Tony. She's ahead of Jackie uh, in a very depressing way. She's kind of realized that it all has no meaning. And ultimately, that is Livia's credo, right? That is bringing us back to her. Well said, dark stuff. But it is there. And it's a great title for the episode, Jordan. Thank you. And I, I really dug that. They're on the gas, though. Foot's on the gas. They're not letting up. They go right from that insanity into this insanity. We're, we're, we're going full full speed down the Jersey Highway here. These morons in the car getting ready to knock over this card game. They've done crank speed. Fuck it. Let's go down the shore. I wrote, yes, go down the shore. Stop this right now. Have a lovely time in Asbury Park or wherever the hell you're going. <laughs> and uh, nope, yeah, they just fuck it. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's do it before the crank wears off. And look, I know that ultimately this isn't what causes it to go wrong, but I don't know. The second Furio is sitting at this table, it's like, oh, this is not going to go well, is it? And (laughs) they stroll in. Chris is there. I'm not even sure they were expecting Chris to be there. That looked like it had some surprise. There was a moment where Jackie kind of looks over and mouths like shit uh, silently to someone else in his party there. Uh, and they're robbing. They're robbing. They're, they're taking it. You guys know whose game this is. And Chris is telling Sunshine to stop rambling and just give him this watch. And they're taking everything. There's a moment when Jackie starts yelling and Chris has a moment of recognition. Oh, my God. That's is that Jackie. What yeah, the fuck? He, he knows. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that's bad news for everybody. Although, you know, if the plan went the way he wanted it to, they did, he did want to eventually be found out, but not in this way and not this soon. Uh, and things go south. I don't know if it's the drugs or what, but well, first of all, there's that warning shot, which scares off the driver, pulls out. So they have no getaway. And then things escalate when they just unload a bunch of clips into Sunshine, who, God, I love Sunshine the dealer. I'm going to miss him. But he 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 just would not shut the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hate that he dies and the way he dies. But like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> yep. Yeah, he's just going on with these epithets and these quotes. And this is an episode about Livia's ghost. So somebody getting shot for talking too much isn't, you know, <laughs> right. out of place. but yeah. And then it all goes to shit. Big shootout. Furio takes one in the upper thigh. It's knocked down. You, you have to be concerned about that when you see that. I've I've watched the show through with a couple first timers, and that always gets an audible gasp. No one wants to see Furio taken down. Uh, Chris, dead eye Chris, 
this is an, I'm telling you, man, this guy is a sharpshooter. Uh, fucking leans back. Boom. Uh, bet, uh, Betty, bet Carlo wishes Dino didn't make that call. Cause he got a bullet right between the fucking eyes. Yeah. And, uh, they rush out there. Jackie pulls a classic move from the grand theft auto video games and just rips a woman out of the car and drives <laughs> down the street. Doesn't pick up Dino and, uh, Dino Zarelli right there. We didn't know you were going to be here. Chris, all that. He gives the excuse. Chris just coldly without a fucking moment's hesitation, guns him right down in the middle of the street, shot, shot, steps over the corpse, shoot. They get Furio. You hear Furio screaming in the car and they all just get the fuck out of there. There's uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the first things that occurred to me was just that this is the first time we've seen Sunshine since the executive game in The Happy Wanderer. And uh, I thought I thought he was such a fun character. He seems to be some yeah. kind of associate of, I guess, the April crew for tracking that since he was uh, that that's who employs him. I, I just I liked him. I actually would have liked to have seen more from him, but also like, dude, yeah. shut the fuck up. Like you're <laughs> I, I don't care who's robbing you. Just like don't. This is not the time. He's doing some great quoting. This is some of our best literature. The final thing I think he gets to quote is a few lines of Rudyard Kipling's If which is a poem about being a young man trying to grow up into maturity and not knowing what it is to be an adult just yet. And these guys never will. They won't even get that chance. Right. Uh, so sunshine, sunshine's lesson is valuable. It's just, boy, does it come at a wrong, at a wrong time. Uh, it took me a couple of times rewinding and going back. It, it is actually Jackie that kills sunshine. Uh, yeah. Right. I, I didn't even realize that until like, I, I had to go back a bit. Um, oh, but that makes yeah, it yeah. worse. Um, yeah. So he is the one that kills Sunshine specifically. And then just also just the the pure terror that must be shared between Carlo and Dino and Jackie and, and whatever. Just like you you bust in on this game and it's like every person you look at, it's getting worse. <laughs> it's just like you bust in, you look at, oh, Sunshine, one of Ralphie's guys. OK, they might have known that. Fine. You look at the money on the table. It's not a lot of money. But you look over. Oh, no. Chris is here. Oh, no. Furio is here. Like, it's just <laughs> It, it's just increasingly worse at any moment. They just should have been like, we made a bad mistake and begged for forgiveness. Cause it's <laughs> getting worse. Yeah. Uh, the bit with Matouche, um, who's the driver here is great. It brings it all full circle. Uh, actually the first storyline with Jackie in this season had Chris using Jackie as the wheel man. Do not move this car. Your life won't be worth shit. And um, here, Jackie says, uh, I don't care if God comes by, you don't move this car. So much for God. Um, and mm. Matouche also has no reason. What what reason does he have to be loyal to Jackie? When did Jackie come through for him? Not in that right. episode that they worked together on. Um, yes. Good, so good call, yeah. Yeah, not inspiring loyalty on The Sopranos, um, but very Sopranos-esque, where Matouche abandons them, then Jackie abandons his friend once he's gotten in the car. So that's where loyalty will get you. Nope. Gotta love the Sopranos peppering in the humor here. Another call back to the Happy Wanderer card game. Dr. Freed shooting a commercial for his uh, for his penile <laughs> implant business. Yep. And Tony calls him in. This must be uh, a doctor he calls when things like this happen and you can't take the guy to the hospital. And they got to drop in some humor here. I love that Furio is screaming in agony as Dr. Freed is performing bare bone surgery. And... <laughs> And they're making cracks about his underwear and uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe doc can give him a bulge, <laughs> but then it quickly propels into this very serious scene between Chris and Tony where Chris is 
ready to go out, go guns a blazing. Jackie, if I find him, he's going tonight. Tony says, no, you're not. And Chris calls him, calls him out for being a hypocrite. You know, you, you preach all this wise guy shit and the only ones that got to play by the rules are us. Interesting. And then Tony gives him the whole thing, you know, and Chris is upset. I loved you. Tony says, you know, you don't love me anymore. That's too bad. Cause you don't got to love me, but you will respect me. Uh, he is being the cold, hard captain of industry type here. He is not uh, telling Christopher what he wants to hear. I don't think Christopher's criticism is invalid here, but Tony is the boss. What do we make of this sequence? No, not not invalid at all. Chris has a legitimate complaint. He's uh, too emotional about it, but I, I can't blame him. Tony plays it well. Tony is already thinking about this, uh, how he's going to play this with Ralphie. So he he already has that in his mind, but he he certainly can't tell Chris that. So it's it's an authentic scene. I, but I mean, Chris says something fairly unforgivable. He says, I loved you. Right. Yeah. Past tense. Even if Christopher apologizes for that, that's going to stick. You know, that yep. that that's a little bit too much. That's um, one of those things that's very hard to take back. Hard to take it back. Hard to take it back. I agree. Not for nothing. This is what acts mere hours after. Tony has left Gloria's house. So what does that feel? I mean, like w- probably the worst time to be calling that loyalty and the question of, and, and, and love into question. Again, I think the terms of love for these guys are desperate. And uh, Chris, I think you're quite right that he quickly reverted to cold captain of industry type. But yeah, Chris says to Tony at this point, you're not going to let this go. You can't do that. I don't think if it were another show, any other TV show, there there would have been something here about, I don't know, Tony's soft spot for Jackie or the loyalty to his dad. I don't think Tony has any intention of letting this go. I think he needs to create plausible deniability. If he didn't, then it would threaten his relationship with his daughter. If she ever found out ever that he was anywhere near this. Well said. I like that analysis a lot. Tony gives a masterclass in management in the next scene here. This scene is just scene after scene. They're fucking killing this. Frank Renzulli and David Chase. This is a, I mean, this is a writing masterclass here. Tony and Ralphie talking about what to do about Jackie. And Tony laying it out in such a way that he is illustrating the things that are going to Ralphie wants to give Jackie a pass, but Tony is saying, yeah, you, you you can give him a pass. It's your decision. He's putting the power in Ralphie's hands while also dropping every reason that is going to make Ralphie eventually decide to go the other way. So the reason, so he is, telling him here, I'm sure you're going to do the right thing. I'll make sure everyone else understands. And when he says something like, who gives a shit what people say behind your back, they don't have the balls to say to your face. Uh, that's on the surface. That's like, ah, fuck them. You can handle it. But on uh, underneath that is they're going to be talking shit and they're going to, you know, you, you haven't earned, you, you'll have lost respect. And by, oh, and you did such a great job with him. You tried your best Ralph, by the way, Here's the uh, 38 I pulled off of him that you definitely gave him. Did you try your best? You know, it's like he is he is saying all the right things, but guiding it a direction with the subtext. Tony using subtext on Ralphie and the passive aggressive pleasure he gets out of it, given their history and how Ralphie came into his captainship. Tony telling him, you know, you're a captain. Uh, this is why I made you a captain. 
genius, genius work by Tony Soprano and by these actors. But this is genius Tony Soprano work. What did you guys think? Yeah, I I agree with your assessment, Chris. I I think Tony plays it really smart. It's just that we we do know that Ralphie is dangerous and he's not stupid. So he also does know what Tony is doing. So that's complicated as well. So uh, it's good. It's really good strategy. I don't think Tony could have played this situation any better. But he keeps casting Ralphie in this role as, well, I have to be careful. Tony is kind of crafting Ralphie as his own villain. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, Jackie Jr. has earned a a death. He he should die. And maybe Tony should put in that order. He's being really politically clever and making it all go through Ralphie. But also Ralphie is aware of that. And Tony's putting himself in a situation where I think he can come to resent Ralphie even further for now also killing Jackie because there's part of Tony that also wants to give Jackie a pass. Um, yeah. It's it's tough. It's it's more complicated than it seems. Um, Tony still plays it well. I I, uh, I don't think he could have done better, but it's fraught. Yeah. Yep. I agree. It will also lead to the fraught quality of the much of the resolution of the storyline, which we'll cover in the next episode. I think there's a couple things here. One, again, we're talking about Tony trying to please his mother or win her love in these various relationships. Here he is expertly manipulative like Livia. This scene is, this is, you're saying I should tax Hesh, except it's even more enigmatic um, and perhaps even more clever in the way that it's rendered. Um, There's a brief bit just before Patsy brings Ralph in where Tony and Silvio are sitting there. They don't say anything. And then when Patsy, who's the messenger in this episode, announces Ralphie, Silvio stands up and he says, what did we say? I think the scene we didn't see was Tony and Silvio talking about how Ralphie's going to come in and how Tony should play it. Yeah. And I think Silvio gave him some good... manipulative advice my my immediate note on this scene was now this is gangster management (laughs) this is how you do it yeah again we're knocking these great scenes out this is another excellent therapy scene the follow-up you have to wonder what i mean i would if this entire therapy session the parts we saw and didn't see what what were on tape i would watch it but we, we we get into this therapy scene tony talking about gloria melfi exclaiming she loved you and Tony coming to the conclusion that she's just arena with a college degree. And we get this idea of replication. Tony says, I do not want to fuck my mother. And she says, not fuck, try to please her, win her love. And then she drops our pull quote for today, which is we need to repeat what's familiar, even if it's bad for us. And she poses the question, why do you put your marriage in such danger? Then we get this cool exchange between them where Tony says, maybe I'm looking for a way out. And she says, you'll never leave your wife. This little, she may leave you, but you've never leave her. You've made one good decision in your life vis-a-vis women. And that's Carmela, your own selfishness. (laughs) And then he's like, all right, all right, all right. I get it. You know, he cuts her off there. Very funny stuff. But I want to talk about that line and obviously the whole scene, but that line actually drew a little bit of criticism from some, uh, some folks involved in the world of psychotherapy as something a therapist wouldn't say to their patient that, you know, you wouldn't leave your wife, but she, she might leave you, but you won't leave her. Oh, it's a little bit, but 
it was this is fun. not a normal yes this is not a normal therapy situation not normal. number one yes and number two what matters is if it rings hollow that melfi is that that is something melfi would say to tony yes whether or not that's something a therapist would say to a i took that as that was jennifer and tony yes that was correct. not doctor patient that was like hang on you'd never leave your wife listen she yeah. might leave you but you would never leave her that's like the one good decision you made that and was, by the way she's 100% right too she's 110% correct okay yeah. <laughs> and then also like it deepened the scene like fuck it that she wasn't yeah. like particularly professional in that moment it was like for a moment you're like yeah J- jennifer and tony have layers beyond doctor patient right this is one of them yes. the friendship the friendship that is so deep between them now that is always layered with their doctor patient relationship. Mm. It that was my favorite line in the scene. You know, yeah, it was great because it, she's calling him on his bullshit in a, a different way. And I thought that was a different kind of therapy or just being a good friend. L- listen, yeah, let, let's not entertain the idea that you would ever leave Carmela. That's hilarious. Let's let's yeah, be you're... real with each other for a second. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, totally full of shit. Uh, and then we end. Uh, she gives this quote about, you know, all things in spite of everything. You're a very conventional man. We have to stop. And he gets up without a word and leaves. I almost made that the pull quote. Yeah. That you're a very conventional man. There is something to that, that this is not he's not special. Certainly not special in that he's repeating patterns because everybody yeah. fucking does that. Yeah. Um, and repeating the pattern of your relationship with your mother also does not make him special. I also agree. I think that there's something about how when she calls him out on it, it's important because she is trying to help him. And I think it's a dodge when he says, I'm looking for a way out. Yeah. Uh, so when, when she calls him on it, I do think that's important um, in terms of whether or not it's realistic. I mean, I, who who cares? They said to Henry James once about one of his books, like, isn't it? Does it like doesn't that really not work? Because that's not what happens in real life. And Henry James responded so much the worse for real life. Yeah. This is real life. It's a TV show. Yes. In drama, it doesn't matter what a therapist would say to a patient. It matters what Dr. Jennifer Melfi would say to Tony. That's what matters. And if yeah. it rings true on that level, that's all that matters. Yep. Doesn't matter. You know. So, yeah, I agree. Great right. scene. I also hate arguments that start anything like, oh, well, a therapist would never say, oh, OK, well, that one did. So fuck you. <laughs> what do you what do you yeah, want? Yeah. She said it. She's a person. Yeah. What the fuck do you want? <laughs> yeah. Correct. This next scene cements Patsy Parisi as one of my favorite characters in the show. So good. This is a great scene. He's taking a ride. And by the way, not just a great scene, but speaking again to Tony, despite everything, he's a good son. And I think we have to just say he's a, he's a good boss. He's a good, he's good at being a mob boss. This is the perfect play. He gets it. Now that he's made the connection, he knows what needs to be done. Knows what needs to be done. He knows that Gloria is looking for a quote night at the fucking opera, right? And he is not going to give it to Gloria. He's going to send weird, normal, old <laughs> Patsy Parisi <laughs> to come look in a car. And his delivery of those lines when he takes that gun out and just tells her that, you know, they're going to be scraping your nipples off these fine leather seats. And here's the point to remember. My face is the last one you'll see. Not Tony's. It won't be cinematic. Yeah. And he just gets up and leaves. That was almost my episode title was it won't be it won't be cinematic. Uh, Mm. Man, this is 
I can't believe how many good all-timer scenes are in this one episode. Seriously. Seriously. This has been like nine scenes in a row right. that are top all time scenes, scenes ever. Yes. Uh, our 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 favorite our favorite scenes or moments list could in our retrospective could all be from this episode. It could be just this one episode. It could just be more crazy. crazy. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris, uh, you you framed it so well. Patsy's the perfect person to send. He is like the least operatic, (laughs) the least cinematic, the least like (laughs) if you send Furio, that's a, Oh uh, yeah. uh, He's beautiful and tormented and tough and and whatever. Even Holly is like, wow, what a movie gangster that is. Yeah. 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 Patsy looks like a shoe cobbler, right? (laughs) He's a fucking normal guy, <laughs> not very attractive, kind of goofy dad, goofy uncle, right? Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. that's the last face you'll see. And then he'll just shoot you and that'll be it. How fucking <laughs> romantic. You want that? Yeah, you know, per- exactly. Perfect. And wow, he does a great job, that actor as Patsy. Just plays Dan it. Grimaldi, so. yeah. But also, at, at props, scary. Yes. You know? I had never really thought of Patsy as scary. Famously, I can only ever think of him peeing into a pool while aiming a fucking gun at the Sopranos <laughs> back window. But just in that moment, you're just like, this guy's killed a lot of people. And they probably all had the same thought like, oh, it's just Patsy. And then they're dead. Yeah. That's yep. fucked up. It is. It is. Patsy usually is has historically been played for laughs. He's a pretty funny character. And here it switches much like Silvio in that one scene in university a few episodes ago. Also in this episode itself, Patsy is like the messenger. He's like bringing in messages. And one of them is that Gloria is on the phone and I think she's crying. And he seems a little bit sad about it. Like he empathizes with this woman like, oh, Tony, you should talk to her. And so then to see him operationally so good at this is startling. And as, as you guys said, Dan Grimaldi does a great job with it. Yep. Also a fun irony. I don't know if this is deliberate or if it's just something I kind of a connection I made, but we start season three with Patsy being upset about the death of his twin brother in season two, who was also shot unceremoniously in a car. And now we get Patsy at the end of season three. He's cemented in Tony's thing. He's put his grief behind him as Tony requested him to do. And the most gangster badass thing he's doing right now is threatening to kill someone unceremoniously in a car. Yeah. Thought that was a fun little connection yeah. there. And when Tony confronted uh, Gloria at the dealership, we saw her tremble as if exhilarated, like there was almost yeah. like a sexual exhilaration or something like that. Now she is trembling in fear, unmistakable yeah. human fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really uh, well acted, interesting contrast. And that ostensibly is the last quote unquote scene of the episode. The rest is kind of the epilogue ending sequence here. Return to me. The Bob Dylan cover comes on. Ralphie comes home. You see a look on his face before he, he's a sociopath. I mean, he, he the look on his face before he goes to Roe isn't that he's sad that he's that Roe's going to be heartbroken. It's that he just he knows he's going to have to listen to crying and complaining for a while and he doesn't want to. But he steals himself, goes into the room. Rosalie is distraught. She knows this kid Dino uh, hung around with Jackie and Jackie's missing. He's going down to Florida, whatever. He sits down, got some bad news. You're, 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 and she freaks out, thinks it's coming. Ralphie says he's got a very serious drug problem. He's setting it up for just in, so that it could go either way, right? He's giving her enough of an excuse that 
We don't think he's dead. He's alive so that if he decides to spare Jackie, he can come back and they can just treat it as if he had a drug issue. Also, well, he might owe some drug dealers some money so that if he turns up dead, it, the, the seed has already been planted, right? So he's done his homework here. And I just felt you, you have to feel so, so, so sad for Roe here. And the shot on her wedding ring as she's gripping on to Ralphie, just evoking the memory of Jackie. She's still holding on to Jackie and she may very well lose her son now too. So just the loneliness and the loss that could be on the horizon for Rosalie is heartbreaking. And that she's in the arms of a guy that we know doesn't give a shit about yep. anyone but himself or women or anything. <laughs> yeah. So very yep. tough. And another reminder that just everything about Ralph is, is a, is an act, you know? Yeah. yeah. Then we get the scene of uh, Tony at home, Carmela. She's not wearing her ring. She has an excuse when Tony asks about it. Tony tells her she looks nice. This is one of those, domestically tranquil scenes in the midst of <laughs> insanity that the show is famous for. She makes him, she's making dinner. He's kind of doing that sweet husband thing where he's following her around the kitchen a little bit. Patsy is out getting groceries on the phone with his wife, telling her how to heat up the stuffed shells and that he'll be right home. And uh, his black Cadillac crests over a hill in Northern Jersey and the episode cuts out. What do we make of these final moments? I have an interpretation of this and some thoughts on this, but yeah. So I, I was actually looking forward to having our conversation today because I, I'm having a hard time interpreting that last shot. I don't understand. Um, uh, what, what is your reading on this, guys? I don't know. Why, why is the ending just Patsy talking about making dinner and driving <laughs> off into the sunset? I don't, I don't understand. My, my thought is it, it, tick, it, it checks off two boxes, one specific to this episode and one more thematically to the whole show. The larger scheme is that this show, you know, again, we were getting the the, the last movement of this episode where was basically gangsters going home and Ralphie goes home to Roe and we see what's going on there. Tony goes home to Carmela and we see what's going on there. It's twofold. One, it's blending that thing that this guy just did an extremely insane thing, just threatened to shoot sure, a woman sure. and have her nipples scraped off the leather seats and is now just going home to cook shells and have a casual dinner with his wife. Like he was just at a bank or something. Okay, like he worked sure. a normal job. So it's like blending that, but it's also the way I took it is it also made me sad again for Gloria oh, because sure. even, even this murderer, this sociopath, is having a normal home life with a wife that is making him dinner and loves him and gets to go home to her after a hard day's work. And Gloria's probably still fucking trembling in a car, wondering if she's going to kill herself that night. Mm. So it kind of juxtaposes that it's another thing that the guy who threatened to kill her even has a life to go home to. And she doesn't, that's just how I took it. Mm. Paul, any thoughts on that? Or did I, did I pretty much hit it? No, I mean it. It makes sense to me. I I think that the the show likes to depict the characters and their complexities and often their their hypocrisies. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a portrait of the guys going returning home. Mm -hmm. And the the song is "Return to Me." And to your point, Chris, it's juxtaposed deliberately. It seems with Gloria's sadness and the uh, the chaos in her life. And if that isn't explicit enough, then the "Return to Me" cuts out right into the credits back to mm. uh, the affection song that's sort of more glorious anthem 
why can't I get some yeah. affection? Why is it so hard? Yep. Well said. Guys, any final thoughts on this episode of Morfu? It's an all-time classic. I'm going to miss Frank Renzulli uh, for not only his sense of humor, but his dramatic chops and the realism he brings to the gangsterism yeah. and to the to the conversation. Even his the way he writes dynamic between men and women, it's very good. We're going to miss you, Frank Renzulli. Thank you for your contribution to the show. Yes, thank but, you. Yeah, final, yeah, but fi- final thoughts on uh, Morfu, and this is... Paul's favorite episode of the of the the series, perhaps, and yeah. Jordan's favorite of season three. And I can't disagree with either of you that it's at least in those conversations. Sure. My favorite of season three by far. I knew that probably even just two thirds of the way into the episode where I just like was like, I, I couldn't take my eyes off it. I was feeling it elementally in my body. But I think what works for me the most is it's not just that the ABC plots are all so strong. It is just that the the parallels that are are between the three plots are so good like they they line up so well um i, I don't want to say better than in other ap- episodes but in perhaps ways that are felt more deeply and then mm. also um gloria is such a special character who yes. has so much pain and is also this specter of livia and it's just this crazy interesting performance and just to see the end of that is is so good it's so it's so special and i've rarely in stories like this that are a version of an amorphu situation this this obsessive uncontrollable passion that burns like a wildfire almost always especially as a male viewer i've always like i don't know put some some responsibility on the woman right like oh women are crazy or you know i've always had like a <laughs> kind of toxic thought like that but Maybe it's because I'm a little bit older, a little bit more mature. Maybe it's because of just how sensitively this episode is written. I feel terrible for her. And I really wanted somebody to make it right. But I know it can't be Tony. And that makes it worse. I feel similarly about it. And I think one of the things that certainly distinguishes this episode for me is that this one, and we've talked about this a couple of times. I think maybe Jordan mentioned something similar when we talked about um, another toothpick in our episode rule of three that tony actually reckoning with doing something say wrong in that episode actually makes us feel more for him and here i do feel a lot for tony even though we see this part of him brought out that is pretty grim that 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 he is a killer that, that gloria is specifically looking for it I still felt for him because, of course, what it brings up is all the unresolved stuff that he doesn't really want to look at about recreating this relationship with his mother. And as you guys mentioned, the other storylines, they dovetail really nicely with it. It's a powerful episode. It's funny at times. And it's rough. It's not always easy to watch. So, yeah, all overall, the impact is stunning. And this being right up there with my favorite episodes or perhaps my favorite is also another way of saying that the contributions made here are so tremendous by the talent involved, like Renzulli, like Van Patten, and I'd say particularly Gandolfini and Annabella Sciorra. This is a career-making yeah. performance for Agreed. Sciorra, I think. Agreed. And I loved it. Every bit as much as you guys did. It's a classic. It's a 10 out of 10. It's a home run. It's a knock out of the park. And it's satisfying in and of itself and still leaves you wanting that finale. What's going to happen? What's next? But, you know, these seasons almost kind of climax in 12 and play out the end in 13. And I think that's a pattern that we've seen. Yep. And 
can't argue with it here. Morfu is so explosive and fun and, and fast. I mean, this episode flew by. So well said, guys. You know what? I have a crazy, all-consuming love for you boys in this Aww. show. So I'm looking forward to covering the season three finale with you. Technically, when we do our season three retrospective, we're tech. If we're going by season numbers, we're halfway through the series. So we're we're moving through. I couldn't be prouder. Uh, everyone out there, we want to do a listener's uh, email segment on our retrospective this year, if possible. We've gotten some really cool emails, so feel free to email us at thesopranospodcast at gmail.com. Find us on social media. You can ask us questions, give us comments, opinions, thoughts on the show, thoughts on our show, whatever you want, at The Sopranos Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and thus and, and, and at Sopranos Podcast, know the, on Twitter. And that's it for today in Amorfu. We're going to come back in two weeks with the finale. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you next time for the Army of One. Got myself a gun.